Hello, everyone. This is the Unlikely Hikers podcast and live show. Unlikely Hikers is a diverse and inclusive online community on Instagram. It's also a hiking group and a podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Brusso. I am a queer, fat writer, hiker, and late bloomer to the outdoors. Hiking and camping only became a part of my life within the last eight years. Still feels relatively recent. And ever since then, I've been eager to spread the good word about what life outdoors can do for our personal wellness and sense of connection to the planet, to the universe, and especially for people with marginalized identities where it can be really hard to find belonging even in daily life. I started this podcast at the end of March to fill the void where our multiple monthly group hikes uh, were and provide a little entertainment and connection because many of us are experiencing a kind of isolation that we've never experienced before. Doing this every week has been a lifeline for me. And I'm so grateful for all of you who have tuned into the show and streamed it on your podcast apps. Thank you so much. My mental health needs this episode today. <laughs> Maybe yours does too. Is anyone else just kind of low-key paralyzed with fear <laughs> about getting out and hiking and recreating during COVID-19? Yeah, me too. And I mean, maybe you're not paralyzed with fear, but I think that a lot of us have a lot of questions and confusion and mostly just want to make sure that we're doing the right things to protect ourselves and each other. So today we'll be talking with Taldi Harrison, Government and Communities Affairs Manager at REI, and Chip Jenkins, Superintendent of Mount Rainier National Park. Pretty cool, right? They are both members of the Recreate Responsibly Coalition, which is a newly formed coalition of nonprofits, outdoor businesses, and land managers developing and sharing best practices to protect each other and our natural landscapes during COVID-19. This episode is sponsored by REI, who has awesomely helped me make the connections to bring this episode to life. Thank you. A life outdoors is a life well lived, right? <laughs> I am so ready to dive into our conversation, but first I have some news to get out of the way. This is our ninth episode and things are going to be changing soon. When I first started this, I didn't know what I wanted it to become. I just knew we needed something now while our lives got rocked by the pandemic or are being rocked by the pandemic. Obviously, this isn't over, which is a sentiment you will hear probably stressed many times in the next hour. But eventually, we're going to be able to travel again and lead group hikes again. And naturally, that will affect the way that I've been doing the podcast. After our 10th episode, which is next Tuesday, June 2nd, we will be switching to every other week and we'll be changing the day of the show to Wednesday, still at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And there's one more change. 
one of my favorite things about doing unlikely hikers is the travel until the last couple of years i had never traveled before and i'm 38 years old so when i'm able to travel again i will be and there's just going to be times where i can't do a live show unfortunately so in those weeks you're going to get a pre-recorded episode and who knows you know maybe it not being live will allow another kind of magic to come in maybe i'll be able to get a little deeper with my guests i don't know uh doing this live and being on and is a lot of pressure <laughs> and I, i'm excited to see what might happen on the times that we don't do this live but i do i, I love doing the live episodes and i think it has its its own kind of magic thank you for being a part of it I know this is a lot of information, so you can always check our schedule at jennybrusso.com slash podcast. So yesterday was Monday, May 25th, Memorial Day. I live across the street from a huge, beautiful park that has been my major respite for my like apartment dwelling, no yard having life. But I'm going to tell you. This entire weekend, the park was packed. Family softball games, basketball, drum circles, and nearly all of it was mixed company, meaning like not everybody was coming from the same one roof. You know, it was very obvious that many households were congregating. And I saw very little social distancing protocols and you know I'm not trying to be a narc I'm not trying to be that neighbor who's like peering through the blinds and whatnot but I am somebody who is very stressed about all of this stuff and I want it to be over and just seeing the way folks were acting like right in front of where I live in Portland a place where people have actually been observing these things very well uh, is a little disconcerting and I predict we're going to see a spike in the next you know, week or two, because it takes up to two weeks for people to show symptoms. You know, we've talked about this before on the show. We are social creatures. We need each other. I'm an introvert who loves being alone. And I feel crushed by this isolation. It is a fact that staying at home is our best course of action right now. But I think I, I know we're witnessing the collapse of it. And I'm not talking about those butt heads who are like demanding, you know, haircuts and equating wearing a mask with like a loss of freedom. Like this isn't actually about a deadly virus that's killed more than a hundred thousand people. You know, it's but I'm but it is clear looking around that you know, looking around on my walks with my dog, uh, on the trail, and on my social media feeds that people are becoming way more lax. Here's where I'm coming from personally. I know I already told you that I've been kind of paranoid. <laughs> I went kind of into my own self-quarantine on March 12th, just a couple of days after coming home from New Orleans. For the first couple of weeks, my partner and I went on a few hikes around where we live, but my anxiety with other people on trail, even then, and even when they weren't like doing the wrong thing, 
um, was just too much to bear. And it just sort of, I, I personally made the decision to just start abstaining from hiking, staying home. And of course the, the news of the world and the stress and all of that, it was just like all of my anxiety was feeling very exacerbated. So for about six weeks, actually longer, I only left my house like three times to go to the grocery store. I did laundry once, don't judge me. And um, to walk my dog, you know, multiple times a day. Oregon has begun flattening its curve. Actually it has been. And we've been fortunate here to not have the infection rates of other places in the US. So we've begun the first phase of reopenings. And I know a lot of other places are too, even without flattening the curve, which is kind of terrifying. And for here, that means that a lot of our, our parks and trails are reopening, which is super exciting. In the last week and a half, though, I've started venturing out a little bit. And I'll tell you more about that as the show goes on, as, as we're discussing um, all of our ways to recreate responsibly. But you know, I've noticed that when I get to the trail, I, it's hard for me to get out of my car. And like for the first half mile, I just feel sort of like, should I turn around? And, you know, even yesterday I did a trail where I didn't see anybody the entire time and I still had that anxiety. Anyway, I'm going to introduce our guests soon. I'm sure you've been waiting for that. Before I introduce them, I want to make it very clear that none of us are experts. We are three people who work in different parts of outdoor culture industry who are coming together to talk, share information, and help you feel more confident around these issues. As I said before, Taldi and Chip are both part of the Recreate Responsibly Coalition, and we'll go through every nook and cranny of that. But you can also head over to recreateresponsibly.org for all of this information anytime. All three of us live in the Pacific Northwest and acknowledge that information varies state to state, which adds to the confusion. And everything we talk about today, every last detail will be in the show notes. We're going to introduce our first guest. Taldi Harrison is REI's Community and Government Affairs Manager. She oversees REI's federal government affairs work and policy-related philanthropy. Her work focuses on fostering collaborative partnerships with a number of national nonprofits and decision makers at the federal level to ensure access to and infrastructure for inspiring outdoor recreation opportunities. Taldi was raised in the Flathead Valley in Montana, and she is an avid outdoors woman who enjoys hiking, mountain biking, climbing, camping, mountaineering, and skiing. That's just a few things. All right. Welcome, Taldi. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me and for tackling this super important conversation. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for being here. And I mean, without you, this, this would probably be happening in a much more haphazard fashion. But this just feels so important, especially right now. Will you tell us a little more about your job with REI? Um, yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, I'm lucky enough to, to work at REI Co-op and I oversee our federal government affairs work um, as well as work with a number of our policy related partnerships. Um, so this includes working with a number of outdoor businesses, uh, probably some of your favorite brands, um, but also working with nonprofits like Hispanic Access Foundation and American Hiking Society. And 
uh, overall, uh, my work is really focused on the overarching goal of ensuring access to and infrastructure for inspiring outdoor experiences. And so we advocate for um, everything from uh, conserving and maintaining um, public lands, um, health and wellness, um, as well as uh, policies that help ensure people from all backgrounds can enjoy the outdoors. Very, very cool. Can you tell me about how you got involved with um, Recreate the Recreate Responsibly Coalition? Yeah, so I think as you've mentioned in prior shows and also uh, this afternoon, um, during the public health crisis, I think many of us has, have found respite in spending time in outdoor spaces. And yet during these super unusual times, that means um, many of us uh, from the seasoned outdoor enthusiast to maybe a family heading out to a local green space for the first time could use a little guidance on how to do so safely. And so about a month ago um, here in Washington state, uh, our public lands were starting to open and we were starting to see some new user guidance coming out. And we also started to see the likelihood of inconsistencies across boundaries and geographies. And so in order to help minimize uh, that kind of confusion that we were already feeling and, and saw more coming, REI and a coalition of nonprofits um, composed of recreation businesses, agencies, and nonprofits uh, came together to really synthesize and simplify the existing guidance that's out there. And now we're really working to amplify uh, these emerging best practices with the overall goal that uh, by helping to simplify guidance and turn it into something that's really easy to follow, share, and remember, um, that maybe it would become more of a cultural norm, uh, just like uh, many people know the leave no trace ethics or the 10 essentials if you're getting out on a hike. Excellent. Um, well, this is just so exciting and I have been really thrilled to see all of the people reposting the graphics for Recreate Responsibly all over and it's been very heartening to me and it's seeing this sort of like united effort has helped me feel more confident getting outside and empowered and also more empowered about how I share information and I'm hoping that everybody listening to this episode will share this information as far and widely as we can. I think sometimes we think we're you know, talking into uh, an echo chamber on social media, and there's some truth to that. But I, I you know, I, I, I read something that like nine out of 10 people don't actually know the leave no trace uh, principles. And that to me is not surprising, but I think that it is surprising in the way that we talk about things like that online. Like there's an assumption that we all know these things that we kind of chalk up to common sense that are not always common sense because common sense isn't really real. We all have different lived experiences that inform what we think of as common sense. Um, I, of course, would love to, um, I want to bring Chip Jenkins into this conversation, but before we do that, um, I was hoping that you could go over just the, the principles of Recreate Responsibly. Yeah, so uh, there's six guidelines uh, that the coalition has, has landed on, and I like to think of it as there's three things you can do before you leave home, and then three things you can do once you get to the trail. So 
The first one is to know before you go. And this means checking the status of the place you want to visit. If it's closed, not going. And if it's crowded, having a plan B. Uh, the second one is to prepare for facilities to be closed. Um, this could be, you know, the bathroom facilities or others. And to pack a lunch or snacks and bring any essentials that you might need, uh, like water or hand sanitizer and a face covering. Um, the third one is to stay close to home. Uh, this isn't the time to travel long distances to recreate. And most places, at least in Washington and, and many other states, are only open for day use at this point. Once you get to the trail, um, just like going to the grocery store or, or other places in public right now, it's really important that we practice physical distancing. Uh, and this means, you know, considering only adventuring with your immediate household, um, being prepared to cover your nose and mouth and give each other space uh, on the trail. And if you're sick, uh, stay home. Also playing it safe. Um, this is definitely not the time to, to do a high risk activity um, or push your own limits. Um, this is the time to slow down and choose low risk activities to reduce your risk of injury. Uh, as we know, search and rescue operations and healthcare resources are both strained right now. And the last one is to leave no trace and to respect our public lands as well as the communities um, that you're visiting and take all of your garbage with you. Awesome. Oh gosh, I have so many questions about all of these things and I imagine other people do too. Uh, I think we should go ahead and get Chip on here now for his perspective and then we can all just like talk about all of these things together. Introducing Chip Jenkins. Chip is a 33-year veteran of the National Park Service and currently serves as superintendent of Mount Rainier National Park in Washington. He also served as a superintendent of North Cascades National Park, also in Washington, Lewis and Clark National Historic Park in Oregon, as well as parks in Southern California, Colorado, and Indiana. Chip understands the importance of making our public lands more accessible to more people. And I plan on taking full advantage of this <laughs> with Unlikely Hikers as we discussed on our phone call the other day. Welcome, Chip. Hey, Jenny. Thanks for, uh, hey. thanks for the invitation to be here with everybody. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. And as you can tell, I cobbled together that little bio. Is there anything else you would like to share with that was, uh That was pretty good online research. No, thanks. <laughs> well, I'll do, the other thing I'll just say is that I've uh, got two teenage kids that uh, have taught me a lot uh, in terms of uh, uh, what it means to be able to recreate outdoors with folks with a variety of different skills. Mm -hmm. And different lived experiences. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I think we're just gonna go one by one through each of these six principles. And uh, Taldi and Chip, it would just be great if you lent your personal perspectives or any kind of information you may have come across. Um, this is just gonna be the three of us even offering opinions and whatnot. So remember, we're not experts. We're just trying to have a conversation that will help all of us out, right? All right, so the first one is know before you go. Check the status of the place you want to visit. If it is closed, don't go. If it's crowded, have a plan B. How can we find out if a trail we want to visit is open? 
I have done a, a bit of research on this and many of the parks and county websites um, have detailed websites of information on what facilities are available, whether or not trails and places are open. Um, one really good resource that I found was uh, stateparks.org. And you could just enter in a uh, the state that you're in and like a map would come up with, with uh, a key that was like, um, this place is partially open, this place is closed, this place has limit, limited facilities, things like that. I thought that was really cool. I also found similar information on the Trust for Public Lands website. And um, Nicole Brown of Women Who Hike did this really amazing guide to public lands called Our Public Lands. And mm. all of this information is in there about how to find out more about all of like the various land management. How about you two? Is there any, uh, do you have any tips on how people can find this information with ease? I'll jump in. Um, a couple of apps that I uh, seem to rely on are hiking project um, is helpful to maybe find less popular trails or other trails. If, if you are, um, you know, looking for a place to go and, and where you want to go might be closed. Um, another app is all trails. Um, but I think, Jenny, you hit it on the head, really trying to find uh, your state-based uh, state parks, or I'll let Chip jump in on national parks, but also the national forest websites for your local area. Um, and, you know, definitely recognize that access to less popular trails can be more difficult for folks who maybe don't have access to a car or otherwise have limited mobility. So, also looking um, at ways to uh, maybe visit uh, more popular trails uh, at off times of day in hopes to also reduce um, your encounters with others if, if you have limited um, access. Yeah, Jenny and uh, Tali, I think you, bo you both are uh, spot on correct that uh, doing just a little bit of research online. It, it, you don't have to you know, be a member of NCIS. It's to be able to find out the information. You can uh, I think, you know, m making use of those national forests, national parks, state parks websites. There are also other organizations here in Washington State. We have a fabulous organization called Washington Trails Association, which probably has the preeminent uh, trails database and trip reports. And other states have similar organizations that provide um, information. And then I think Taldi also hit upon a really good point, which is... Um, uh, June and July may not be the time to try to plan that life, you know, that bucket list hike uh, to uh, the five star location uh, when, when other people are doing, you know, doing that. It might be a time actually to really adjust your uh, expectations and see about uh, maybe the two or three star hikes and really try to find joy uh, and the uh, the magical moments in uh, in those places. That's exactly what I've been doing. I've been looking up trails on all trails, which has been pretty good at notating uh, trail closures, which I was surprised about. Um, and I've been looking for the lesser, I'm sharing a hack right now, you guys, pay attention. I have been looking up the lesser rated trails, just like scrolling all the way to the bottom of the list of, you know, after I put my parameters into the filters. 
And um, I've been, I've, I've gone on three of them now that had like eight ratings <laughs> and I have had a really good time. You know, you don't get those big payoff vistas and things like that on these, but right now just getting outside and feeling like I'm being safe, that I'm keeping others safe, that being in nature, it feels like the most pressing, important thing. You were kind of, Chip, you were kind of talking about plan B. So maybe, yeah, we can't do the big, uh, grand summertime things that we might want to do, but we should have a backup plan, um, especially for if we roll up to a trailhead and there's too many cars. So yes, remember, get your plan B. The next one, practice physical distancing. Adventure only with your immediate household. Be prepared to cover your nose and mouth and give others space. If you are sick, stay home. All right, we got a lot to unpack here. Let's see. Well, Chip, I'll start with you. How is or, or is physical distancing being enforced in any kind of way at Mount Rainier National Park? You know, we are not going to be the social distance or the physical distance police. Uh, I think it's the way that we're the way that we're approaching this is that we're working in concert with governors and county health officials, the epidemiologists. They're making the determination whether or not it's appropriate and safe for people to uh, leave home and to be able to travel to a park, a forest, or other places to be able to recreate. So once that decision is made uh, and people are allowed to do that, then uh, and more lands are open. Um, we're here to be able to provide people information uh, and to be able to access, but people really are then free to make their own choices, including uh, determining the risk that they want to take. What we are going to be enforcing is uh, working to keep our employees safe. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we are, uh, we actually uh, right now are onboarding our, uh, our summer employees. We're doing training right now. And part of what we're training them to do is, um, to welcome people, to be able to provide information, but also really to, um, they have our expectation and our permission to be able to say, you know, I need to stand back. Um, we need to maintain a, a space between ourselves uh, in order to be able to keep both of us uh, uh, well. And um, so that, you know, that's really the approach that we're taking. Are, is there any sort of um, monitoring or of how many people are in the park at one time. Um, do you guys stop letting people in at a certain point? And has that changed since the, the pandemic? Um, different parks are approaching it in different, uh, in different ways. And really uh, the way, the path that I think that most uh, parks and public land are traveling is, is that we're, we're going through this phased stepped approach where uh, restoring access so people can come in for uh, day trips, uh, and then we're going to see how that goes, and then start to see about uh, restoring some forms of overnight and gradually adding more capacity for people to be able to do things so that we um, learn and adjust as we go along. Now, it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge for all of us because when we last were fully uh, open, it was back in March, and all of this was new for us. We now have 11, 12 weeks under our belts and a surprising amount of education, a surprising amount of uh, new uh, uh, behavior norms have been established. 
uh, as a result of all of us going to Costco and to Starbucks and to, uh, you know, other places where we have, uh, you know, we are accustomed to now having, uh, uh, wearing masks, seeing markings on the floor, try, you know, navigating uh, where we maintain space. So we're just going to have to go through a little bit of uh, experimentation. And part of that is for the park managers. Part of that is for the enthusiasts who are, who are coming and recreating. As we, uh, as, as Taldi talked about, as we work to establish new norms. Wearing masks, such a hot topic. We're hearing about it all over our lives, not just in regards to the outdoors, but of course, in the outdoors, where it is said, uh, I read a bunch of articles on this, that the, um, the chances of, of, of getting COVID-19 from the air are far lower. It's not zero, but it is far lower. You know, and so I think a lot of people just aren't wearing masks. Um, I know that I have only seen a few people wearing them when I've been out. Why should people wear masks on the trail? What do you think, Taldi? Um, well, I'd say, you know, the CDC's current recommendations are for wearing a cloth face covering in public uh, settings where other social distancing measures are difficult to maintain. And so, you know, I, I think it's also important um, as, as we think about that to, to also cue in on the cloth face coverings um, and not surgical masks or N95 respirators, because those are still really critical supplies um, and, and needed for our health care workers and other uh, medical first responders. Um, but on the trail, you know, Jenny, you mentioned you were out this weekend. Um, my family and I went out, uh, yes, on a Sunday. And, you know, there are times on the trail when, you know, either at a trailhead or if, if you're passing someone or there's a, a pinch point in the trail due to, you know, the trees or the way the trail is structured, where it's pretty hard um, to give six feet. And so, you know, what we've been doing is, um, and pro everybody probably has their own favorite mask, but, um, you know, for hikes, I've just been wearing like a buff or, you know, like a net gaiter. And, you know, if it's just he and I walking, my partner and I, I keep it down. Um, if we're passing someone, you know, we both pull our, our, our masks up as soon as we see each other. You know, the thing that I think is, is really hard, um, you know, I love not seeing others on the trail, don't get me wrong. Um, but when you do see someone, there's just this, this social aspect where you're, you're sharing a similar, potentially similar experience. And so there's a wave and a nod and a hello, and it's just a friendly moment. And I think what's been hard for me is, you know, you see somebody and you pull your mask up and then you turn your back to them as they pass. And that just is, it's, it's hard intellectually for me to, to stomach that. And so I think, you know, I'm also realizing that, you know, for, for my experience, um, wearing a mask is actually to, to keep others safe and hopefully help them feel comfortable. Um, but I'm also trying to maybe wave before I turn my back or put my mask on um, so that they know that, you know, it's it's out of my care for others that I'm that I'm wearing a mask to help protect myself and them. Excellent. Yes. Um, I have been also similarly uh, witnessing those moments of like people rushing to put on their masks and myself included, and there being this kind of uh, a little bit of a discomfort uh, between how, like how we interact with each other now. I say hi to everybody on trail, which I normally do anyway, for many reasons. First of all, it's friendly. Another human is near you. You might as well say hi. It's just a polite thing to do. 
but also to just assert myself on the trail. Like I am here, I'm taking up space. Hello, how are you today? Great day to hike, you know, all of that. And we can do that with our masks on. And also, you know, you touched on sometimes trails are not conducive to getting that six feet of space. Personally, I'm only doing trails where I can get that. Um, but I just want to remind everybody that the masks are not a substitution for that physical distance. Someone else uh, commented on this uh, and said that they've been thanking other people for wearing masks, which I think is a really cool thing to do, like some positive reinforcement. Uh, I've also been trying a thing where I reframe the whole thing where I will say, I'm trying to give you space, like in a friendly way, like, oh, excuse me, I'm just trying to give you some space, instead of being like six feet of space, please, you know, stay close to home. This is not the time to travel long distances to recreate. Most places are only open for day use. What exactly does that mean? Because staying close to home means a lot of different things depending on where you are and your access to nature. Chip, do you want to take this one and maybe talk about the impact on gateway communities? Yeah, sure thing. That's, you know, I think that um, staying close to home is one, um, one easy metric to use is stay within your county. Um, you know, if you are, uh, um, if you are, find the recreational opportunities that exist within your, um, within your, uh, within your county. Part, part of what is going on is um, it's not just about whether or not uh, when you go somewhere and you, you might uh, become ill and then you go home uh, and you have to cope with that medical uh, condition. It is if you visit someplace uh, where is a rural community and you um, unintentionally, completely accidentally, uh, pass along uh, the COVID-19 virus just to someone in that rural community. Um, many of our rural communities have, have very, very um, limited uh, medical facilities. There are um, rural, rural doctor's offices, rural uh, hospitals that have very, very small capacity. And if people become sick, um, they, uh, the, they can swamp the medical system or they have to incur the added um, impact of having to travel someplace else um, for uh, for the health care that they need so it's it's um, it's not just about yourself it's about uh, respect for those communities that are hosting you um, just as if you were traveling and visiting a friend's house very well said and yeah I've seen some I've seen a few people online um, every time I posted about this show it had a lot of feedback whether it was in my direct messages or on comments on the posts. And yeah, a number of people have, have been uh, utilizing that within their own county or within two counties, uh, I guess, depending on where you are. Uh, two counties in a big city isn't gonna keep you, get you super removed from those kinds of um, facilities, but in more rural areas, it could mean a huge difference for being able to get those services that you need. Kind of the collateral effects that can happen is, is that, you know, for example, you know, when you live in these small rural communities, people play multiple roles, right? So folks may work as a park ranger at a national park. They may also be on the volunteer fire department. They might also, yes. uh, their spouse might also be teaching in the school. They also might 
you know, help, uh, you know, be leadership in the local church or in 4-H. And so it can have, um, it can have this um, chain of effect through the community that has disruptions through a variety of different organizations, so. Definitely, I think Taldi touched on this earlier about the importance of bringing your own water, bringing your own food, uh, maybe getting gas in your own town uh, before you go on these uh, adventures because then you're gonna be uh, lowering the chance of spreading um, this in another uh, town or county or or whatnot. And I also want to, of course, say that um, that's extremely important in general, but this is also not the time to visit places that are being uh, impacted by COVID-19. I'm particularly talking about the Southwest. The Navajo Nation has the third highest uh, COVID-19 infection rate, and it's right by all of the things that is on all of our dream adventure lists. So I did hear something about the south rim of the Grand Canyon opening up. I feel not good about that. It's a very sensitive area. Let's just stay away for now um, and do our best to be good allies. We kind of already talked about this. Uh, plan ahead. Prepare for facilities to be closed, pack lunch, bring essentials like hand sanitizer and a face covering. Uh, a number of people have told me that they are uh, wearing a fanny pack with their like hand sanitizer and extra things at the ready that they can just pull out when they need them when they're in these public areas. But Chip, I'm wondering, uh, what can people expect going to a place like Mount Rainier National Park right now? Are there facilities that um, they will not have access to? Yeah, our, uh, most of our facilities are closed right uh, uh, right now. We are um, we we will as we start to phase to have access. We will work to have uh, um, restrooms available, but that's not the case everywhere. Uh, part of the reason at a place like Mount Rainier or or the Grand Canyon that we have restrooms is just sheer the sheer large number of people come that. Um, it would actually be a, a larger uh, human health problem if we didn't have the restrooms. But that's not necessarily the case everywhere, right? So, but, and I think it will be um, a while before we see things like visitor centers, ranger stations, um, uh, contact stations like that uh, um, open up. And so um, part of being prepared, going back to what Taldi was saying is uh, accessing uh, information that you can beforehand, seeing about downloading it to your phone or your uh, mobile device so that you can come prepared. Now, in some parks and forests and um, uh, communities, there will be folks who are available who are doing their best to try to answer their information, but it's gonna be a really different dynamic this year in terms of trying to do that outdoors, do it with social distance. So the degree that you can plan ahead and try to formulate plan A, B, and C before you arrive, uh, you're going to have a much better time. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and jump ahead to play it safe. This one I think is really interesting um, because I also think it, a lot of people will have different interpretations of it. You know, slow down 
and choose lower risk activities to reduce your risk of injury. Search and rescue operations and healthcare resources are both strained. We did touch on this earlier, but let's just like kind of illustrate what playing it safe can really mean. Taldi, do you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, um, this one is so hard because the definition is really determined by the individual. Um, but I think a good rule of thumb is um, not to push yourself to your limit. Um, you know, for example, if you're hiking, maybe stick to a trail that is a step below your ability. Um, you know, if, if you get to a viewpoint and you just need to kind of do a class four scramble or something to see the viewpoint, maybe today's not the day um, to do the scramble. Um, another way to think about it is consider what the impact could be um, if things went wrong. So if you happen to be an asymptomatic carrier of the coronavirus and you twist your ankle, and a nice Samaritan helps you um, get back to your car by helping carry you to your car. Um, and then you have to end up going to the hospital or um, get some sort of medical um, care. You know, those systems are already taxed, as we said. Um, and, you know, you're also an asymptomatic carrier now, um, putting others in danger. So these are kind of the things I've been thinking about um, as I go out uh, and choose where to go hiking or um, if you're cycling or, or other things. Well said. Uh, Chip, this is, a, this is a, a thing you could weigh on. What about backpacking right now? You know, that's kind of a normal or common activity for a lot of us this time of the year. I know I want to get away for a night or two. I've been doing a little research about places I can go that are still within the 50 miles of, uh, of where I live. Um, but yeah, would that be considered an activity to avoid right now? What do you think? You know, we've uh, uh, talking with uh, public health officials. If you are traveling just with your household, uh, you know, the, the people that you live with every day and you want to, instead of live at home, you want to go live in a tent for a night or a couple of nights and you are staying um, away from other people, then yeah, that's okay. But if what you're looking to do is to get your five friends from five other households to get together and go take a backpacking trip, probably not the best time right now to be able to do that. That time will come, uh, but uh, um, right now, um, at least in Washington State and the Pacific Northwest, we're probably not there yet for doing that. So it's not the time for us to summit Rainier. Uh, that's actually, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, the, the, the mountain, actually the mountain is closed to mountaineering. Yeah. For, the mountain uh, is for, closed. Yep, for, <laughs> uh, for two reasons. One is, is because uh, activities like that, people have a, there are places where people congregate on the mountain where we can have several hundred people actually congregate, as well as also keeping our employees safe who would be responsible for being, for, for being up there. Again, it's about um, finding those locations where uh, the, the people that you are with on a regular basis every day, where you can go and you can maintain your distance from other folks. And we're on our last principle before we start the Q&A, which is leave no trace. Many of us have heard of this before. Earlier, I mentioned that there was a survey that nine out of 10 people are not familiar with leave no trace. Um, so we have to stop talking like everybody knows or understands what that is. 
it always bears repeating. Of course, we do not have a lot of time to go into every single principle today. I'll go through them very quickly, but on the uh, recreate responsibly um, graphics principles, it is respect public lands and communities and take all your garbage with you. Uh, and very quickly, the seven LNT principles are plan ahead and prepare, travel and camp on durable surfaces, dispose of waste properly, including your poop, leave what you find, minimize campfire impacts, respect wildlife, be considerate of other visitors. All of those need so much unpacking. Uh, and you can find all of this information at lnt.org. Do you two have anything you want to add to that? Maybe something about the trash thing, because I think people are really confused about the trash, because it's like, Clearly, some people are trying to put their trash in the trash can, but then we have Trash Mountain, and then everyone on the internet gets really upset. And like for me, I'm like, yeah, that's upsetting, but also I see a lot of people who are trying to toss out their trash, yeah. and maybe, and, and actually I'm going to guess most of them didn't know that they should have took it with them. You yeah. know, they were maybe thinking someone was going to come by and get that trash at some point. One of the things people should consider when they leave home is whatever you take with you from your home, plan on bringing whatever is left of it back. And so pack an extra ba plastic bag uh, or a couple of extra plastic bags. And if you're, if you're taking it out of your house and you're putting it in your car, just, just plan on having something put, to be able to put something that into something and bring it home when you're done with it. Yeah, and picking up trash on trails is a really good idea right now, too, especially since we don't have, I mean, a lot of our, our public lands, a lot of people are not, you know, out there maintaining those areas right now the way that they normally would be. So this could be a good time for us to do our, our personal uh, do and uh, pick up any trash that we see on the trails. Before we get into the Q&A, uh, is there anything else you two think we missed or should cover? Anything you want to add? No, I think uh, we did a great job of covering it. I think just one of the things I really want to emphasize is just to be kind to one another. Um, you know, we're all learning this together and do your part to lead by example um, and share the guidance with friends and family, um, but just be kind. Yes. That is really good advice. I, I, and I have to just echo that sharing of information part. Before we get into our Q&A, I would love to take a group photo of us, if that's okay. <laughs> it's just a screenshot. I'll do it on the count of three. So one, two, three. Awesome. Thank you both. And thank you for this great talk. I, it's, it feels really good. All right, so we've got a lot of questions and comments. Some things we did go over. This question is from somebody who is wondering if for national parks, uh, this I guess would be a question for Chip, for national parks that close during, due to COVID-19, is there any way to like extend or is there any talk about extending the uh, America the Beautiful passes or, na or annual national park passes? Yeah, actually, that conversation is underway in terms of seeing about extending them for uh, um, 
uh, two months, I think, is uh, what the current conversation is about it. Also, individual parks who sell their own entrance pass can, um, can uh, extend those. Um, so, good question. We've got a question from somebody who's asking, do we have any tips for managing this anxiety, anger, for, you know, people not following these protocols, visiting small towns that they're not from? Is there anything that we can actually do about it as individuals? I'm going to say for myself, I don't think so. And that is horrible. Um, but I, and I also am witnessing the way that like shaming people on the internet is not working. I am so not into that, but I, other humans just prevent, present variables and they are going to make their own choices even when they are told to do the things that they're supposed to do in these situations. Um, I, I don't know. Do either of you have any advice on that? I, I, it just, I can imagine this feels very helpless in a small town. I, I would, something that you said, Jenny, I think was uh, wise. And that is actually, you know, um, instead of focusing on the negative behavior, focusing on the positive behavior. And um, an and action I think that people can take is, when you see um, when you see or you hear about people uh, doing the right things, acknowledging and reinforcing that behavior that and hopefully by doing so will uh, create you know create more incentives for people doing the right stuff and it also makes you feel good it does so my friend Patrick, one of his personal strategies is to try to emphasize that um, other people's feelings and comfort, you know, uh, especially uh, particularly uh, people who are immunocompromised, that we need to always be centering their uh, feelings and experiences and doing everything that we can as loved ones and allies uh, to, you know, uh, be safe and um, share this, the ever evolving facts. And, and that's actually a good uh, question in there is, is how often will Recreate Responsibly be, be updated? Yeah, so um, much like everything with uh, the coronavirus, our understanding is really ever-evolving. Um, so the best way is to definitely check the website. Um, you'll notice on the infographic that's on the homepage, there's a date stamp in the bottom right corner. And part of that is for version control because we believe that as our research and our understanding of the virus evolves, um, as we get uh, more people in public, um, we'll, we'll probably start to learn more and we will need to update um, the, the shared guidance. And so please you know, check back to the website um, regularly. We're also building out a resource page. Um, you can find it now if you go to the very bottom of the website, um, but as it grows in the coming weeks, we hope to have a tab on the top of the page as well. And so that might reference, you know, the National Park Services Recreate Responsibly website or other useful um, information if you wanna learn a whole bunch about how to climb uh, safely during COVID or another specialty. Excellent. 
Excellent. I will definitely be checking the website regularly and sharing that information all over the Unlikely Hikers platforms. Let's see. Oh, there's one more question, and then I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. This has been such a wonderful time. Uh, is the actually we kind of talked about this, Taldi, on our call? Um, Recreate responsibly. The coalition, is it going to be expanded? Is it going to uh, continue on past COVID-19? And specifically to this person's question, is it going to expand to tourism in any kind of way? Um, this person in particular actually works for a travel agency. So um, they're wondering uh, what that could look like for tourism. Uh, yes, uh, and, and Chip might have perspective on this as well, specifically in Washington, but I know um, some of the Washington tourism organizations or, or Visit Rainier is one, for instance, are participating in the Washington Coalition. Um, and at the national level, um, you know, please feel free to contact us. And there's also a way to join the coalition um, uh, if you'd like your organization to get more involved. Uh, and you can find that on the website as well. But yes, um, you know, tourism and the outdoor recreation economy are, are vitally important to the country. And so um, tourism is definitely a welcome uh, part of the conversation going forward. Anything to add on that, Chip? Or anything I, I would just say that I think that uh, uh, in recent years, and particularly in the last two months now, there has been a, a growing recognition that outdoor recreation is a um, very substantial industry that has a substantial um, contribution uh, to uh, this country, um, particularly in more rural areas where, um, uh, where many, many people make their livelihood directly off of um, recreation. And so there is this um, growing um, recognition between um, uh, outdoor recreation uh, 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 business, private businesses, not-for-profits, uh, government agencies about the intersection in terms of our common interest of tr trying to figure out how to navigate this path where it's sustainable, sustainable for communities, sustainable for land, sustainable for people. And, um, and I think that we are, uh, the, the uh, Recreate Responsibly Coalition that Taldi has been one of the key leaders. It's just been remarkable to me, for me to see the different sectors come together in a rapid time for this collaborative work. And it gives me a lot of um, hope uh, that actually we, we recognize that we have um, uh, far more in common uh, than we often recognize. And, you know, so hopefully we can stick together to continue to, to, um, uh, to, to move forward into the future. Oh, that was so well said and such a perfect note to end this on. I, I also want to give you both kudos and everybody uh, who has come together so quickly on this. I know there's a lot of people involved. I'm just, I'm grateful for these efforts. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you both for talking with me today. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and I hope everybody uh, can, you know, enjoy the outdoors and do so uh, responsibly. Yeah, Jenny, thank you very much for inviting us. And I just want to say that I think that, you know, you, you and your listeners, you know, you're, you're smart people. You can figure it out. And, the, you know, the, uh, what, what it does in terms of being able to get out, if you do, if you recreate responsibly, it'll lift your spirits.
Absolutely. Yes. Got to get that time outside. All right, you two, I am going to sign you both off now, but thank you again. That wraps up our show today. Thank you again to REI for supporting today's episode and for being one of the first supports for Unlikely Hikers. Uh, uh, REI had everything to do with me leading my first uh, national hikes, you know, my hikes outside of Portland, Oregon. And that's something that means a lot to me. And it was the beginning of a huge uh, change in my life in terms of doing Unlikely Hikers and being able to bring it to as many people as possible. So with gratitude, thank you so much for that. Uh, thank you all for joining today's episode. Our next episode airs Tuesday, June 2nd. It'll be another storytelling episode and the guests are Patagonia, the one and only, and uh, Megan Banker, a plus size mountaineer and climber. So that is going to be very exciting. And you can download today's episode wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a good review, five stars, all of that. Share it with your friends. If you'd like to sustain the podcast, you can head over to jennybrusso.com slash donate. And uh, that helps me out a lot. Maybe one day I'll actually buy a legit mic and you guys can hear my voice sounding like smooth as butter. And thank you to my guests, Taldi Harrison and Chip Jenkins. I hope to see everybody again next Tuesday. Take care, recreate responsibly, and uh, bye. Ha, 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 ha.